0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning. It's uh, good to continue our conversation in the upside down kingdom, which I'm hopeful you're becoming aware is really the right side up kingdom. And the reason it appears to be upside down when Jesus comes is because we have gotten used to living upside down. Uh, we begin. Uh, gotten used to flying the airplane of our lives upside down with the instruments screaming at us that things are not the way they ought to be, but we've gotten so used to uh, feeling the pull in the wrong direction that it feels normal. It feels natural to us, uh, which is okay, I suppose, until a minor course correction crashes us into the mountains of our lives. Uh, So when Jesus comes to write us It feels awkward. It feels that it doesn't quite gel with how things ought to be. And nowhere is that more the case, uh, kind of taught and lived out, than on this Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. The Sunday in which traditionally uh, the church celebrates Jesus' coming into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. Uh, and the, 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 the discontinuity bef- between what Jesus thinks or knows that he is doing and what everybody in the crowd believes that he is doing are, are just jarring as we walk through the events of this, uh, this holy week, this final week of, um, of Jesus' life, life on earth as we had come to know it. Um, And so if you have Bibles, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at two texts, um, one that that sets up Palm Sunday in its traditional understanding. And then we're going to look at a reflection that Paul has a number of years later looking back on the events of this Holy Week and suggesting what they really meant and, and kind of Um, beginning to invite us into the strategy uh, of the cross, uh, particularly not just historically what was happening there, but what the strategy of the cross has to teach us about how our lives work best uh, here and now, yeah? So uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse one. As they approached Jerusalem, Jesus sent his disciples and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, He said to them, go to the village ahead of you and you will find a donkey tied there uh, with her, colt, by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to me, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, On a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey, the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd um, that went ahead of him and those that followed behind shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in the Galilee. So again, we back this up. Jesus has been building uh, strategically towards this moment for almost three, three and a half years, and in fact, arguably long before that. Um, and we now see kind of coming to really sh- fairly sharp focus um, his, his, his mission, his ministry to, to save the world, but to do so in a way that nobody um, uh, understood, to do so in a way that put the powers uh, 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 on, dis- on display, but also put them on notice, that, that, that the ways of doing power, the ways of doing life, the ways of negotiating the dynamics of the world were coming to an end in in pretty uh, uh, spectacular fashion. And, of course, the crowd... Uh, had its own understanding of what was going on. And even though Jesus was trying to signal, using this prophetic image of the donkey and the the foal of the donkey from Zechariah, that his monarchy, his way of being a king was not going to be like anybody else's way of being a king, that he was going to come... On a donkey, a beast of burden, a a slave's animal that he was going to come to serve, that he was going to come to to lead by serving, that he was going to come in this uh, working man's way, this beast of burden's way, and that it was through this means that he was going to Uh, model for them and for us, anybody who's watching and paying attention, a completely new and other way to live. Because remember, this kind of triumphal procession was not uncommon. They had evidence of this as only a few years before, a Roman general had ridden triumphantly through the streets of Rome, through and into the city of Jerusalem, proclaiming this celebration of uh, Roman dominance and power, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, uh, secured in a particularly brutal fashion by slaying all of its enemies. You can get peace like that if you want. Jesus comes on a, on a, on a donkey, on a beast of burden. He comes as a blue-collar worker um, and says that his way of bringing peace will not be like the other guy's way of being peace. You can imagine Jesus's heart set in juxtaposition against the crowd's heart set. They see this Messiah figure, this rabbi, whom they have come to believe might in fact be their deliverer now from that Roman power. And they are wanting, especially as we head into Jerusalem, for us it's Holy Week, but for them, it is also a holy week that moves towards Passover. Passover, you may recall, is the Jewish in- Day of Independence. It's like our July the 4th. Well, like your July the 4th, like my July the 1st, because I'm Canadian. Um, but, but, or, or if you can wrap up July the 4th and Memorial Day and Veterans Day all in one, that's Passover. And you can imagine the nationalism that is rising in the hearts of the people as, as they kind of look three or four days down into the future and see Thursday night approaching and see the wonder of, of a possible maybe uh, this is our time. It's time for Israel to uh, achieve dominance on the world scene again. It's time for God to leverage his his grace and and power for our advantage. And so they, almost completely and utterly ignoring the symbols of the donkey that Zechariah draws them to, um, uh, leverage this with another historical memory, with palm branches, which were the signs of the last deliverer of Israel, a guy by the name of Jacob Maccabeus, whose symbol, coins, can still be found actually in archeological digs in Israel today, the symbol of the palm branch, signifying revolution, signifying rebellion, signifying a nationalism that finally drove the Greek invaders out only to be replaced by the Roman ones. So now here is a new, a new one worthy of our palm branches, worthy of our, of our following who will deliver us, not from, Israel, from Greek, but from, from the Greeks, but from the Romans. You can, you can feel the nationalism bubbling up in the hearts of the people. And listen to their cry, Hosanna, save us, son of David. They are projecting on him an identity, but with that identity they are projecting a particular shade of that identity. David was the warrior king who established Jerusalem as his capital a thousand years before. And here now we have a son of David, someone who will be like him, who will be our warrior king and once again establish Israel as the center of the universe. Hosanna, save us. You can imagine that the Roman soldiers were getting itchy trigger fingers. All Jesus would have had to do was raise an eyebrow and the crowd would have ignited in rebellion. Who is this? This is the prophet Jesus from The Galilee, Nazareth. Well, he'll do. Nobody came from Nazareth. It was 10 minutes north of Hemet. No, nothing, no, nobody, nobody came from Nazareth. No prophet, no king. In fact, Nazareth was the, the, the seedbed of insurrection. It was where the false prophets came. It was where the where the riffraff gathered together and formed their coalition of crazy. It was, and, and you see this, in, in fact, Jesus himself with his dad helped build the Roman city of his forest just outside of, of, of Nazareth, uh, which was built to specifically put down revolt, revolt and rebellion in the north. So so, so so, here he is, son of David. We'll, we'll, we'll slap a label on the boy in the hopes that he'll figure out who he is to us. And it's fine for us to sit here today and look at them and say, oh, those poor deluded folks, but we do precisely the same thing. We want so much Jesus to save us from whatever it is that we think we need to be saving from. But can we be clear? Jesus did not come to save you from anything. He came to die. But more than that, he came to teach you and me how to die. Now, why would he do that? Why, why, when I say Jesus didn't come to save you from anything, what I mean by that is from anything that you think you need to be saved from. We don't understand that what we really need to be saved from is our own self-destructive character and nature, that small, tiny ego self that sabotages us over and over and over again. Jesus did not come to save, to to fix that guy. He came to kill him. Why? Well, because Jesus knows the only way for resurrection is death. It's a prerequisite. You can't be raised from the dead unless you are, in fact, dead. Right? So, so as he heads into Jerusalem with a clear understanding, they want him to make their lives better, and he is coming to destroy their lives as they know them so that they might have capacity for the eternal life which he comes to bring. And we have, I, I've got to be honest, we, have, we don't want to die any more than they did. We resist it in the same ways that they We pin labels on Jesus in the same way that they did. Because we want power in the same way that they did. Because we believe that if we're in charge, that everything will be better. Eh. Not true. Not true. As, as evidenced throughout our human history, even when we or our guy is in charge... In whatever role we want, you emperor, president, king, things still go bad just as quickly. We have not learned how to use power in the upside-down kingdom that is actually the right-side-up kingdom. We do not trust love as much as Jesus does. Jesus knows that love is the only thing that will drive out fear. He knows it's the only thing that will drive out the insecurity and the fear. and the, It's the only thing. Love that is great enough to absorb the hatred, love that is great enough to absorb the insecurity, love that is great enough to absorb the fear is the only thing that will turn the world right side up. Jesus knows it. We don't believe it. How do I know we don't believe it? Because I still want power to make people do what I want them to do. Believing that if I have that power, the world will be, at least my world will be, a better place. Hmm. No, you just change one tyranny for another. So here he comes on his donkey. Here he comes on his colt. Here he comes hearing with tears in his heart and maybe even in his eyes the adulation of the crowd calling him to be something that they so desperately want him to be and which were he to be that would destroy the very reason he came in the first place which was not just to die for the sins of the world, but to teach the world how to die. So when we sit with this strategy, we can understand how the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces of darkness, even the human forces of evil, simply did not get it. It was beyond comprehension. It was too simple. It was too elegant a solution. We need a much more complicated solution. We cannot be saved by someone who surrenders his life. That makes no sense at all. Can I get a witness? So Paul says, well look at at what's happening. Here he is in 1 Corinthians chapter two. Verse 1. This is the way it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence, with human wisdom. As I proclaimed the testimony about God, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except this, Jesus Christ. And him? Crucified. So I came to you in weakness, great fear and trembling. My message, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, not the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are in fact, coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. A wisdom, a mystery rather, that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those who love him. You see what he's saying. Now Paul is, is, is partly writing this letter in, in defense. He has been accused uh, of not being much of an apostle, of being kind of a, uh, a, a wannabe apostle, he comes uh, rather that because the city of 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 Corinth was very much like the big cities of our day, uh, in which power and displays of power were the ways to leverage notoriety, to leverage uh, hearing. You, 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 nobody interviews the street sweeper. The guy gets interviewed as the guy who pulls up in the Lamborghini. You, you, you know what I mean? The the one who has position, the one who has wealth, the one who has leveraged his or her uh, capacity and, and 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 is larger than life. We we want that guy to be our guy, and and Paul, uh, 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 tiny little guy, uh, uh, quite possibly ill. Uh, uh, it, it, with 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 uh, he he had re- remember been stoned a couple of times and we're not talking legal we're uh, he, he had been he had been left for dead a number of times on the outside of the city he had been imprisoned he had been beaten. Every one of those things, his enemies leveraged to prove that Paul was not, in fact, in the center of God's will because anybody in the center of God's will clearly would enjoy prosperity and peace and health and wholeness as the outcome of God's rich blessing on them. People believed that back then. I know, I know, I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) haven't learned much, have we? So, Paul says, You you guys, you you got it wrong from the get go. You've got the second button in the first hole. No matter how well you button after that, you're going to end up looking wonky. (laughs) Right? Get the first button in the first hole. Who do I represent in my weakness? I represent a crucified Savior. Can you think of any other symbol more appropriate to the gods of the age who leverage their power for brutality? than one who came capable in love of absorbing all the brutality and redeeming it. Paul says, my weakness, in fact, is proof of the truth of my message. I embody in my body the crucified Christ. I carry about with me the dying of Jesus, he says in another place. So my weakness? Mm -mm. You guys got it all wrong. You're looking at it... Through the wrong ends of the end of the telescope here. Turn the thing around. Look through the little end and see the majesty that unfolds out the other side. You haven't understood the nature of redemption if you think it's simply about a display of more power than anybody else. Can we be clear? God has all of the power in the universe to brutally crush and put down. All pretend gods. And he doesn't do it. Why? Because he wants you to be so free that you can choose against him if that's what you wish. Power will not enable that. Power will not enable that. So I I was talking with somebody uh, just recently today, uh, not today, earlier this week, and um, he was saying, I'm just so flipping angry at God, except he didn't say flipping. And I said, have you told him? I could never do that. Why not? Well, you know why not. He has an image of a brutal God who, as soon as he hears oppositional language, prayers, praise, whatever it is, will crush it with judgment and punishment. Anybody know a God like that? It's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of the Old Testament, properly understood. It's not the God of Jesus, but it's the God of many of us. And Paul says, that's not how he is, guys. It's not how he is. My weakness, when you see it at its finest, is actually God's glory being revealed. God is most glorified not in my strength, but my weakness. You can understand why Palm Sunday is not, why we leverage it to be this great celebration of praise. I get it, I get it, it's just that it's upside down. Because this is as hard for us as it was For them, yeah? Or at least for me. Anybody else having a hard time? Not understanding this. That's the problem, right? We we understand it. It's just like, oh, crap, this is going to change everything. (laughs) Yes, that's the point. Because notice what he says. I came to you preaching nothing but Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Didn't come just to die. He came to teach us how to die. I came to you in weakness with fear and and trembling. My message, my preaching, were not the things that you had gotten used to with rhetoric and and wisdom and and persuasive words, a demonstration instead of the Spirit's power. I don't want your faith to rest on human wisdom, on demonstrations that are anything but God's power. Here's the deal, nobody saw it coming. The rulers of the age, they were were loaded for bear. They were ready to crush in any way possible displays of power, they had gotten good at the nuclear option. You you know what I mean? Because they would rather kill you than see you turn to the love of the Father. That's completely acceptable to them because that's the strategy, right? That's the strategy of jealousy. That's the strategy of hate. That's the strategy of fear. That's the strategy of insecurity. And there is nobody more insecure than the gods of the age. It doesn't look like that because we've gotten used to their displays of power with the big houses, and the big this, and the great that, and the majestic this, and whoa, whoa, <laughs> I love saying that. It's like the two caretakers leaning on their shovels years, or undertakers leaning on their shovel years ago as they had enlarged the grave to allow the wealthiest man in town to be buried in his Cadillac, boy what a way to go, he's still dead, (laughs) this is what he's saying, do you catch what Paul's saying here, look let me me read it to you again in case case we missed it and also because I forgot what they said. We don't speak a message of wisdom among the mature. For the wisdom of this age, the rulers of this age, they are coming to nothing. Now, here's the deal. They know it. They know it just like if we're intelligent, if we're mature, we know it. At the time, Paul says, they didn't know it. They hadn't counted on the strategy of weakness. They hadn't counted on the strategy of love that is non-retaliatory but redemptive. They hadn't counted on the strategy of one who would be obedient to death. They had not counted on that. Nobody saw that coming. That's the horse that nobody bet on and the one that run the race. And by the way, still wins the race and still we are hesitant to bet on love as the only redemptive capacity in the universe. More laws won't help. Better training won't help. Not much. It'll make us more polite, which not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Civil discourse, really helpful, won't help. Not a single thing that doesn't put to death the small, tiny ego self that comes out of fear and insecurity will help. Jesus didn't come just to die for you. He came to teach you how to die. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He wants life for you, not some postponement of gradual death. Jesus' slogan is die early and die often. Come on, bring it on. Why? Because on the other side, on the other side of love is more love. On the other side of love is life. On the other side of death is life. The kind of life you, in fact, were actually built for, the beauty of weakness embraced in the human person is that it moves us into a universe of wonder which we have only begun to explore. We have to let Jesus wash our feet. We have to let him serve us. And then we have to follow him in serving, laying down whatever power we have To let love control outcomes. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit Garden.Church.